Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. If you have, if you are not aware, we are in a series called Hey Jude, and uh, there's a little bit, if you are new to Woodland, there's a little bit of a running joke that pastor stretches out sermons way too long or stretches out series way too long. We were in First Thessalonians for about four months, but Jude, good news church, we're going to wrap up Jude today. So this isn't going to be a 10-week series. This is only a three-week series. So we're going to continue to be diving in to the book of Jude, and we are going to be looking at Jude's final words here and final encouragement. So if you, uh, if you remember, I know last week not having church, it kind of threw us off. But three weeks ago, we were looking at how Jude started his book. And I want to give just a quick a quick recap here on Jude, uh, Jude 1 and 2, it says this, and this is how Jude opens his book. He says this, he says, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. And then he says this prayer in, in verse 2, he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Jude is writing this book to believers. He says to the called, which is the, to the believers in Christ, to those who are beloved in God, those who are kept for Jesus Christ, and he prays that mercy and peace and love would be multiplied in our lives. Well, then Jude goes on and he reminds his reader why he is writing this book. And he is writing this book because at the time there are some people that have crept into the church, some people that are not followers of Christ, though they disguise themselves to be. And Jude's main purpose in this letter is say, church, you need to contend for the faith. That there is issues within God's church that you have to be fighting for. And, and he actually goes on, and we talked about this two weeks ago, about all, and he lists off all of these sins, the sexual immorality. These people deny Christ as their master. They don't really believe. These people rely on their dreams. They, are, they have a murderous spirit. They are grumblers. They're malcontent. They follow their own passions. And Jude is writing, and he is saying, listen, church, you need to contend because what is at stake is the very faith that you guys have. Well, this week, we are going to be seeing and just continuing on on how is Jude going to finish off this letter. He reminds us of all of these different sins that are within the church, and, and really the biggest issue, the biggest issue Jude is writing on here is who has authority on your life. He challenges them, and, and he just points out that, that, that there are, are these people, they don't come under the authority of Christ. They come under their own authority. They desire to do whatever they desire to be doing. And ultimately, us as the church... We have to say, who has the authority on our lives? Well, Jude is going to give us a final reminder this morning. So we are going to look at Jude 17 through 25. If you guys will stand with me this morning as we read God's Word. This is Jude 17. 
And God's word says this. He says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions, the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life in verse 22 and have mercy on those who doubt save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garments stained by the flesh now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times and now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come and we look to your word today. Lord, remind us once again who we are and who you are. Father, as we we dive in, Lord, may your spirit be come and be ministering to our lives, Lord. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us this morning. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So Jude is going to finish this letter with a final reminder. If you look at verses 17 and 18, he actually says that very, very clearly. He says this, he says, But you must remember, beloved, The predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. I love how Jude words this here. He says, remember, beloved. Telling the listener, saying, listen, remember you who are loved. Remember that all of this that is taking place, all of these people that I'm telling you that that you need to contend with, that you need to challenge, he says, remember, this was all predicted. The apostles of, of Jesus already predicted what is about to be taking place. He says, listen, don't be surprised at these people. He says, there will be these scoffers, these people that despise Religion and the morality based on it. Scoffers does not believe that God will judge, or at least that God will judge him or her for what they are doing. And so they feel to indulge in whatever behavior that others see as immoral. And he says, listen, this was all well predicted. This was all forewarned to you. That in the last times... Now, we kind of wonder, when are the last times? You know, whenever you kind of read that within Scripture, I don't know if your mind jumps to it, but do you ever think like, well, he says that in the last times. Well, all I know is this. Today, we are one day closer to the last times. Okay, so just like, think about that. Today, we're just, we're just one day closer. Tomorrow, we're going to be one day closer. But Jude is saying, listen, this was already warned to you. I think about Second Timothy where it says this, this was Paul saying this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving others, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Judah is saying, you guys already know that in the last times, inside of even the church walls, there will be people that despise who Christ is. And he says, these people, in verse 19, he says, it is these people who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Now, I know many of you have been in church long enough. Uh, has anyone here ever been a part of a church where there is a lot of division? Maybe, maybe not, maybe sometimes. Some of you are like looking around like, yeah, I've, I was there. Well, maybe you were part of that problem. No, I'm just messing with you. But anyways, when you have divisions within God's people, it's probably one of the worst things that can happen to any church. And I will tell you this, it is precisely the opposite of what God wants. I know that because in John 17, Jesus prays this entire, there's the entire chapter of, of John 17 where like Jesus' biggest prayer is that his people would be unified. And Jude is warning us, saying, listen, there, what you will see within people is when, is when there is division they're devoid of God's Spirit. They're not working for God's kingdom. And I realize within churches, we're going to have disagreements. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. But the desire of God's Spirit within every church is the church would be unified. That they would be unified underneath the lordship of Jesus, underneath his authority, underneath his word. And what happens is... is when these divisions come, it's, it's just, it's, it's a killer to God's kingdom. It hurts his church. It gives ammunition for the world around us to just, well, look at those Christians. They can't even get along. They can't even be unified. They want to talk about loving one another. They want to talk about this. But they're not walking in unity. And I, as I think about Jude... It's this clear warning to us, church. It's this clear warning that, that, that when we begin to become divisive within God's kingdom, we have to resubmit our lives to the authority of Christ. And I think it's, it's just so important. And honestly, that has been one of my biggest prayers. I've said this many times, but over specifically over the last two years, you know, during COVID, the world we live in is just divisive and everyone has different opinions and different thoughts and different scientific data and all this other stuff going on. But within God's church, my biggest prayer for Woodland is that we would stay unified underneath Christ as we move forward. And I believe it is one of the, the brightest lights that we can shine to this world. To say, listen, we, we all don't have the same personalities. We're not always going to see every single topic right on. But we are unified underneath the authority of Christ and underneath the authority of his word. 
And I just think it, it's just, it's so vital because there is this warning that, that when ungodliness comes in and when these grumblers and these people that, that don't really want to follow the Spirit of God, the fruit will be division. That's what the fruit will be. And for me and for our church, I just think we have to be constantly diligent saying, Lord, help us, Lord. Don't, don't be letting divisive spirits get within me. I don't want to be walking down those roads. Lord, help me to be having conversation. Lord, help me to be asking questions. Because one of the things I, I see mainly within churches that become divisive is the lack of just communication. It's just like, there's some hurt feelings, something happens, well, we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to get upset, and we're just going to, and it's like, oh, man, my biggest prayer is Jesus' prayer is that we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And may we be unified under the authority of Christ, and may we walk in obedience to him. Well, that's enough on that. Let's continue on here. Jude is going to end his book on a high note. He gives us all these warnings, right? All of these warnings. This is what, what these people are going to be looking like. They're within your very church walls. You need to contend with them. You need to be fighting for the faith. But look at verse 20 and 21. He leaves us with some encouragement here. He says, but you, beloved. There's that word again, beloved. You who are loved. He says, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. If we are going to contend for the faith, if we are going to fight for the faith, Jude leads us, leaves us with three things here. He says this, he says, But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith. Well, what does that look like? He lays it out here. He says three things. Three things. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to just t- touch on these three things really, really quick this morning. Because if we are going to be contending for the faith. If we're going to be standing firm in the faith that we have in Christ Jesus, Jude lays out three perfect things here. The first one, real quickly, he says, praying in the Spirit. Now, do we have any Pentecostals background in here? Because I I'm a Pentecostal background, and if you don't know what the Pentecostal background is, we can talk about that afterwards here. Well, if you have a Pentecostal background, uh, which I do, uh, when you read this, this, uh, this verse here, your mind usually instantly jumps to praying in tongues. And I may be causing a whole bunch of confusion, a whole bunch of division within this church today. I don't want to be going down that road. But many times when people hear, well, you got to pray in the Spirit— they instantly think it's this supernatural, spiritual event that must take place here. But what, what Jude is saying here, what Jude is referencing here is that rather it refers to praying under the direction and the influence of the Holy Spirit, trusting Him, the Holy Spirit, 
the third person of the Trinity, to intercede for us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. He says this. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we pray in the Spirit, it is us coming underneath the authority and lordship of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is actually something that many people don't even think about. And actually, I would, I would, I would recommend a great book if you are a reader. Um, it's called Forgotten God by Francis Chan. It's a great book about just how the Holy Spirit is called to be active within our lives. But praying in the Spirit is us saying, we're going to come underneath the authority and the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus actually promised this. He said, listen, when I leave, I'm going to send to you a helper. What's that helper going to do? He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to lead and, for, and to guide us. And when we're praying in the Spirit, we are coming underneath neath the authority of God's Spirit. The Bible is very clear. All who confess Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And it's us saying, God, I, I don't often know how to pray. Lord, I don't even, don't even know. But Lord, your Spirit can lead and guide me. And Father, I submit to your Spirit in my life. God, lead me through your Holy Spirit. God, bring to mind people I need to be praying for. God, lead me in this day. God, where, what are you calling me to? What conversations are you calling me to, to, to be having this day? It's literally saying, Lord, you have authority, and I submit to it. So when you see that praying in the Holy Spirit, it's, that's what it's really all about there. Number two, he says, keep yourself in the love of God. Well, how do you do that? Have you ever like thought about that? Like, okay, like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep myself, like all wrapped up. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just in God's love today. I'm just, I'm just in it. Well, I want to jump to a couple of references. John 15 says this. Jesus speaking here to his disciples. He says, "As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide." In my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that you and that your joy may be full. Or John puts it a little bit different way in first John, same author. First John chapter three, verse twenty four. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit who he has given us. It's, it's not that complicated, but it is the most difficult thing human beings can do. And that's walking in obedience to God's commandments. And you might be saying, well, pastor, that just seems way too obvious here. But when you look at Jesus' words, he says, 
I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Abiding in the love of God is, is difficult. Mistakes are going to happen. But our desire, the Holy Spirit that is within us, our desire is to say, God, I desire to walk in your commands. I desire to be honoring to you in all that I do. And the Lord, he's going to help us. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. There. The, the third thing Jude says, he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I don't know if you guys realize this, and I say this a lot. The main focus of a believer is the future. Have you ever like, thought about that one? Our main focus, our main attention is always ahead. It's ahead to what? To Christ. And it's coming. Our hope is in the future. We recognize what Christ has done in the past, his death and resurrection, powerful. But as a believer now, our focus shifts to the future. Our focus shifts to what is God going to be doing? And we are waiting for his return. We are waiting for his mercy to appear. We are waiting for the glorious day when Christ comes back for his church. That's our hope. That's our future. That's what I personally think keeps, keeps us going. You know, like when things around us are falling apart, when everything is just, it's like, man, can, can things just get any worse? And it's just, as a believer, we always have hope in what God is going to be doing his promises of his return, his promises of, of us being with him. That's the hope that the church carries forward always. And Jude is just reminding his listener of that. And he reminds us that salvation is never of matter of good works. It's all based on God's mercy and grace upon our lives. Now, as we wait... Jude is going to re remind us, and I feel like today I'm kind of lecturing. I feel like we're just kind of just going directly through. I don't want to be feeling that way. Um, I had this sermon ready for last week, so I basically blame it on that one here. But Jude is going to say, as you wait, what do we do, church? What do we do as we wait? Look at verse 22 and 23. As we wait for the mercy, Jude says this, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show, to, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. In the Greek, I love this, this idea of doubt is someone who is at odds with oneself. Someone who is doubting is somebody who is at odds with oneself. And Jude writes this entire book, and we have to look at these verses in light of the entire book. He says, listen, this is who you are. I'm writing to the beloved Christians, those who God loves, those who are waiting for, for Christ. I want you to contend for the faith. But then he says this, show mercy. Show mercy on those who are what? Who are doubting who are having struggles. 
I don't know, this, this seems so common and so easy, but there are so many times that I have met people that have grown up in churches that always felt like they couldn't ask questions. They couldn't have any doubts. Jude here recognizes people are going to have doubts. People are going to be at odds with oneself. They're going to have questions. And Jude says this very clearly. Have mercy on those people. If you have doubts in your faith, in your walk, if you're kind of questioning things, I want you to know that this, I hate that term, safe, safe space. It just, we are a safe space for those who are doubting. Because we as believers should be showing mercy on those who are at odds with oneself, those who have all of these different questions, those who are struggling in the faith. And Jude makes this very clear. I want you to contend for the faith. I want you to be standing firm on the authority of who Christ is and his word. But then he gives us this picture of like, as we interact with one another, we have to be able to be showing mercy to one another. I don't want people walking out of here saying, well, you can't question anything. You can have questions. You can have doubts. I'm always going to point you back to the Word of God because we submit underneath His authority. But I just think this is so important for us, church, because you're going to come across people. There's probably people in this room right now. They got some doubts. They're not fully sure about who this Jesus is and what he has done for them. They don't quite know if they have come under his authority yet. And our job, Jude makes it clear, show mercy. And this is, this is the amazing thing. You are saving others by snatching them out of the fire. Like, really, really think about that. As you show mercy to people that are doubting, that are having struggles in their faith, as you come and as you walk alongside them, as you say, listen, I'm with you on this. I will walk with you. I don't, I don't have all of the answers, but we're going to go to God's Word. I'm going to be pointing you to Christ always. And as you walk alongside them, he literally says you are saving others by snatching them out of the fire. Like, really think about that. As you show mercy, as you walk alongside people that are having questions and having doubts, you're playing a vital role in God's kingdom. You're showing them not only His mercy, but you're literally saving them out of the fire. I just think it's just so important for us to be reminded of that, to be showing mercy and by doing so, we are snatching others out of the fire. That's our job, church. That is literally our job. Our job is to proclaim Christ, to point people to Christ, but to have mercy on people. Don't just, don't just shove them off. It's not just, wow, you just got to just figure this one out. Do we have enough patience? Do we have enough time within our lives and our schedules to say, listen, I will walk this with you. I realize this, you know, there's some crazy complicated Old Testament stories you may be confused about. Well, let's be walking alongside one another and showing mercy and not just kicking them to the curb and saying, well, figure this one out. Good luck here. Well, 
Jude is going to circle back here in verses 24 through 25. Do you remember at the beginning of the book, and I mentioned this earlier, he says, we who are called the beloved kept for Christ's return. Well, Jude is going to end this book with those same verses. Look at verses 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude reminds his listeners, the Lord Jesus, who has called you to the call, He can keep you. He will keep you. And he makes this promise here that the Lord can keep you from stumbling. That the Lord can keep you from falling in to sin. And he gives this great reminder that Jesus who saves us, he can also keep us. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, Paul wrote this. He said, No temptation has overtaken you that can that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptations, he will also provide you a way to escape that you may be able to endure. Not only can God keep you, but there is this phrase in here, he says in verse 24, if you can put up verse 24, I, I want to just touch on this again. He says, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I want you just to keep those words up there. Not only does Jesus want to keep us from stumbling, but Jesus is so looking forward to the day when he can present you before the Father with great joy. This is beyond amazing love. I want you to have this image in your mind that the day when you stand before the King, Jesus is going to be there with great joy. And He's going to say, this is my child. This is my servant. This is my friend. Pick any word that Jesus has said about his disciples and fill it in. And Jude is reminding the church, listen, there's going to come a day when you stand before the glory of God and Jesus is going to present you with great joy. You get this beautiful picture of how great and how loving Jesus is for us. That he is looking forward to that day. Yes, we contend Yes, we show mercy. We have all of these things that this life is. But there's going to come a day when you're going to stand before him and Jesus is going to be there to present you. It's, it's just an unbelievable, beautiful, beautiful image. And then in verse 25, I love how Jude finishes this book. He reminds us once again who this king is. He says this, to the only God. He's the only one. 
He's our Savior. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he says, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all times and now and forevermore. It's this idea and it's this reminder of who Jesus is. The dominion, the authority, it all belongs to him. And our job as the church is to recognize his authority and his dominion in our lives. And it's so crucial for us, church, because it's such a challenge. And I just think that that is like the essence of being a Christ follower. A Christ follower is someone who comes and they submit to the authority of Christ. As you see throughout all of these examples within Jude, there are people who do not submit to his authority in Jude lists off what that looks like. But for us, for his church, for his beloved, for his called, we come under his authority. And I think Jude does this fabulous reminder to us, church, that applies to us as well. That Jesus is the one who's in charge. He's the one we submit to. We don't submit to man. We don't submit to the culture. We don't submit to any political regime. We submit to the king. He has the authority. He has the dominion from now and forevermore. He's it. He's the one. And we, as Christ followers, we say, you're the king. It's not my life, it's your life. It's not my will, it's your will. It's not my plans, it's your plans. Lord, I come and I submit to you. And there's this beautiful exchange that takes place, church family. Jesus came and he died on that cross and he forgives us of our sins. And the exchange that takes place is it's our life for his life. We're turning over our wills. We're turning over our lives to him and to him alone. It's a reminder, but it's also a challenge for us. That, that, that the essence of being a Christ follower is we come and we submit our lives to him for all things. And it's a challenge. There is not a Christian out there that will not say that is the most difficult thing you will ever do. Because you're going to have a battle that takes place within you. And it's going to be like, is it my way or is it his way? Is it my will? Or, you know, like there's this, there's going to be now all of a sudden there's this internal struggle. Because his spirit is now working within our lives. And the struggle is, it's the most difficult thing that can ever take place. But I do know this. On that day, when we meet our king, I want Jesus to present us with great joy. For him to look at his church and say, those are my people. They are my followers. They have submitted their lives to mine. And it's the greatest exchange that can ever take place.